I'm thankful for the privilege to be able to bring the word to you. There is a lot more able and experienced men who could be up here expositing the word. But I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to preach. Uh, one of the things in Bible college that we talk about is preaching reps. And the only way you get better at preaching is doing more reps. And so anytime we get an opportunity to preach, um, I'm excited. I tremble wanting to represent God well, but I'm excited to deliver your God, to show who he is and to just show you what he says in his word. So what we're going to be looking at today is Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 10 tonight, just a short section of what pastor just read a minute ago. If you're a note taker, uh, the title of this is Magnifying Grace. Let me read the text and then I'll pray for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, we come before you tonight. We're in desperate need of your grace. Father, you have shown it to us, and you will continue to display that grace to us. But Father, we need your help. We need the Spirit's empowerment to help us understand who you are. Help us not to walk away from this, looking at the text, feeling more confident in our abilities and our strength, but to come away broken, recognizing our wholehearted dependence on you. Help us, Father, to see you who you are, and I help our hearts to sing in praise for what you've done for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So have you ever tried to pay for something that was given to you? Have you ever had someone give you just a lovely, awesome gift, only for you to turn around and say, oh, no, 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 here, let me pay for that. I, I, could, I couldn't hardly take that from you. I can't accept such a great gift. We don't like the idea of owing someone something, you know, like, have you ever tried to just simply pay them back? And, and what it is, is it's often the pride in our hearts that limits us from receiving the gracious gifts from someone else. We're, we don't want to be seen as needy. We don't want to be seen as taking advantage of someone. But that, that pride kicks in and it, and it limits us from taking the gift. But this tendency towards pride also appears in our relationship with God. We're often quick to affirm salvation by grace, specifically justification. We're quick to say, yes, I'm saved by grace. Before God, I stand justified in Christ's righteousness. I am, I am righteous before God. But, and, how, and as true as that is, and as accurate as this text tells us, we are justified before God by grace, we somehow think that we forget that grace in our sanctification. We, have, we somehow think that we started by grace, but somehow we can continue by our effort. We think that, well, God saved me here, but now I just grip my teeth and I do my best to do, live the best Christian life, to be a moral person, and we, we forget. We forget the grace of God. So maybe, maybe you resonate with something like this. Like maybe it's frustration. 
You've tried, you've tried over and over to keep from sinning. There's that one sin, you, you go back to it and you sin again. And so you grit your teeth, you get going again. You pick yourself back up by the bootstraps and you, and you walk and walk and walk again. And then you fall again back into that same sin. And it creates a cycle of frustration. I'm, I'm tired over and over. And so I get up and I grit my teeth and I try to fight the sin again. And what happens? We fall. And this never seems to work. Somehow we end up back where we started. But God offers a better way. He doesn't leave us to finite strength for us to change. He offers his grace not only to cover our sin, but also to produce change in our lives that glorifies God. In this passage here, Paul is praising God for the wonderful salvation that has been displayed to the Ephesian church and to us today. And in the beginning of chapter 2, he talks about how they were dead in trespasses and sins. They were enslaved to the world, to the flesh, to the devil. But now God, but God, because of his mercy, because of his love, has united us with Christ he has brought us into such a close union that when Christ was made alive, we were made alive. When Christ was raised, we were raised. When Christ was seated in the heavenly places, we were seated in the heavenly places with him. And all this wonderful salvation that has been given to us was for the purpose that we see in verse 7. All this wonderful salvation was that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The whole purpose of God's plan of redemption was to magnify, to make his grace look great. It was to make God's gracious, his kindness towards us, to make that look wonderful, supreme. That's God's goal from all of eternity past to now, to saving us and to whoever he'll save in the future. It's for God to make his grace wonderful, to make it look great. And so that leads us in to the verses we're looking at today in verses 8 through 10. If our, if our salvation is all for the magnification of the grace of God... God has saved us so he might display his great wealth of grace towards us. So in this passage then, we're going to see that you can magnify the grace of God. You can magnify the grace of God. But that leads us to start to wonder, well, how, how do I magnify God's grace? What am I supposed to do to make God's grace look great? What, what things, what tasks, what's the way I should go about making God's grace look wonderful? And this text answers that by giving us two ways we can magnify the grace of God. And the first way we see is in verses 8 and 9. And we can magnify the grace of God by surrendering our works. By giving up our works. We surrender your works. Paul begins here by summarizing salvation in a single short phrase. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's a verse that's familiar to most of us. 
We know that verse. We've often memorized that as a child. But how much, how, how short of time it can lose its charm. Like, how quickly do we just forget that? But let's examine it. Let's look at it from a couple different angles. So he says, for by grace, you have been saved. So this obviously is referring to a past event. Something that has occurred back in time. And when you and when I, we received Christ as Savior, God saved us. You have been saved. Back in that point of time, God saved you. You are saved. But in the Greek, there's a hard, difficult thrust that's hard to pull into the English language. It's hard to represent it, and our translations can't always get it across. And one of the things that's interesting about this is there's an element of, of continuous, of a present salvation here. We could say something like, not only has God saved us, he's accomplished the salvation in the past, but God also is saving you right now. You are being saved. So you were, the, the process of salvation in your life was begun when you received Christ, but now it's continuing. It's moving forward in your life. Presently, you are experiencing salvation. And the word we would use to describe that would be your sanctification. You are being saved. You are being sanctified. So if this is true, if there's a, a present idea along with the past idea in this phrase, how does that change our understanding of the two phrases that come alongside it, sandwich it together? The first one says, by grace. By grace. It communicates an, an instrument, a, a tool that was used to produce salvation. It's the foundation that our salvation lies upon. It is by grace. And grace is unmerited favor. It's something that we do not deserve, but that has been poured out upon us, not because we procured it somehow, not because we thought we could somehow manipulate God to give us salvation, but of God's own choice, he has lavished that grace on us. He has built our salvation on the foundation of grace. It is because of his purpose is because of his will that he has shown us salvation. We are the recipients of a great gift. God has shown us grace. But there's also the other phrase at the end, and it says, through faith. And through faith has the idea of a, of a medium. It's a, it's a connector that brings two things together. Our salvation is built on grace, and it's only come to us by grace, but we access it through faith. Faith is almost like the straw, like that connects you to the bottom of your drink. Like it connects you to the, the resources that have been given to you. Faith is that rope, the line of communication that goes out, and it secures. It gives you access to this salvation. So God has given you grace in Christ. He has saved you. And you access it through faith. 
you can reach out and you can obtain that salvation through faith. But we want to make sure that we connect in. There was that present idea of salvation. We have been saved, but we are now being saved. So what does that mean when we look at grace and faith? We were saved by grace, and we were saved through faith, but right now, you are being saved by grace through faith. Right now, you are receiving grace upon grace. God is pouring out his grace on you right now. And your faith is active right now, living inside of you, connecting you to a very present, very real storehouse of salvation that God has given you in Christ. Right now, God is pouring out his grace upon you. And you are the recipient of wave after wave of grace given to you in Christ. This is yours. You have the grace of God. It's not something that's stuck and locked, trapped in the past. It's something that's available to you today. You can have the grace of God. And you access it through faith. But Paul turns from this positive statement of faith. So you have salvation by grace through faith. And he, he switches to a negative statement of this. He, he's telling us the other side of the coin. Look at what he says at the end of verse 8. He says, And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So he takes the coin, and on one side it says, You are saved by grace through faith. And he flips it, and he's telling us, What's that not look like? What does it not look like? to be saved by grace. And he, and he outlines it here. He says, it's not of yourselves. It's not something that has been procured from inside of us. It wasn't our idea. It wasn't our, it wasn't our simply just willing of ourselves to bring us to, oh, I should get saved. It was God delivering us grace, giving it to us. But look at the phrase he uses here. He says, it is the gift of God. Now, sometimes that could be connected to the previous phrase I was just said, through faith. And so we look at this and we, we, we could somehow come to the conclusion that the faith is a gift of God. And that could be true, but what, what Paul is talking about here in this passage, he's actually referencing the whole of salvation he's just talked about in verses 4 through 7. He's talking about this gift of grace is yours. You have received salvation in Christ. It is a gift given to you. But then he, he adds to that. Look at what he says. He says, not of works. And that's pretty easy for us to understand. Not of works. Not of works. We, we look at that and we're, okay, not of works. So I have done nothing to deserve the grace of God. I have done nothing to earn my status with him. My, my lineage, where I come from, my, my, my merit that's just inherent in me, my works, any actions that I've done, all those things have condemned me 
None of those things have put me in a position before God where I could stand in his salvation. None of those things, none of my efforts could have brought me to this position where I now stand in Christ. But let's even take that with the present effect. Nothing we do right now changes our status with God. Nothing, no amount of sin, no amount of good works, and no amount of bad works can change our position before God. We have been saved by grace, not of works, and we are being saved by grace, not of works. Our works right now mean nothing in Jesus Christ. That does not change our status before God. We are saved by grace and by grace alone. But why? Why that? That last phrase in verse 9. Lest anyone should boast. If we thought that even just a small amount of our good works, if we thought there was just something good enough inside of us, that for some reason God owed us grace, that somehow I, I did enough good things to manipulate the sovereign God of the universe to pour out grace on me, that somehow I thought I had enough good works to give grace, to, to receive grace, then I would think, okay, I deserved that. I did something to get that grace. But grace is unmerited favor. Grace is something given to us, a gift. Not something we have earned. Not, not works that we have done that could have somehow procured that. It is grace freely given to us by God because he chose to. We have the grace of God. And how much, so if God's, if God's purpose was back in verse 7, to magnify his grace, to make himself look great, to show his glory, if that's God's purpose, when we come here and we start to think that somehow by works I have put myself in a position to re receive the grace of God, I'm detracting from God's purpose throughout all the ages. Somehow I think that I'm taking a little bit of God's glory and keeping it for myself. I look at God's eternal purpose that he decided all the way in eternity past that he would make his grace look great. That he would be glorified and magnified above all other, all other people, all other beings. Somehow I take that and with my works I think, well, you know, God, I don't know. I don't think that's what you, I don't think that was the best idea. I think I should have got a little bit of the credit here. Put me on the credit roll. I want some of that fame, that glory. But God says, no. No works, not of yourselves, lest you should boast. God wants to humble us with his grace. He wants to break the pride that lives in our hearts and he wants to humble us with his grace. And so God has given us grace and we can magnify him by surrendering our works, giving up our efforts in salvation. We can give that up and we can rest in the grace of God. But sometimes we can often understand this passage to refer to the past act of justification. We think that this is something that happened in the past. That God's grace was only poured out to me back on that day, November 7th, 2009. That's when God showed me grace. 
But God's, but God didn't stop there. He's still showing grace today. But sometimes we forget that. We forget that we're so needy of this grace. Have you ever said something like, well, maybe next time I'll just try harder not to get angry at her. I'm just going to try harder. Or maybe I'm having a bad day today because I didn't do my devotions this morning. Have you ever thought that? Maybe, maybe because I didn't do my devotions, because I didn't do something, now God's disciplining me. He's punishing me for something I did wrong. And now he's going to change how he interacts with me for the day. And those things are missing grace. They don't understand that the grace God gives positions us and nothing can change that position. It forgets that grace comes into our life and helps us change and transform our lives into something that's dependent on the grace of God. Something that doesn't require pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. Something that requires lots of self-effort. God's grace is given to us to change. And we can magnify that grace by surrendering our works. So if salvation is by grace and it's through faith, what should our response be to that? How should we respond to that? So for those who have not yet tasted of this grace, for those who have not reveled in the grace of God, who have received it by faith, it is here. It is for you. It is present. God is offering his grace to you in the person of Christ. Christ has accomplished those things. He has borne the wrath of God on your behalf. And he stands offering his grace to you. And you can experience this salvation if you receive, if you take it, if you reach out by faith and receive Christ. But for us today, for the church, what does this mean for us? Paul wrote this passage in the middle of a doxology. Paul's writing this to praise God. He started back in chapter 1, verse 3, where he said, Blessed be the God and Father, or be blessed the God and Father. His goal is to ascribe praise to God, to make God great. He's, his heart is singing with the grace of God. He is enamored with what God has done for him. And as we look at this, as the church, our first response to this shouldn't be to dedicate ourselves again to God, but to praise God with a thankful heart for what he's done. He has shown us grace we didn't deserve that. God has poured that out on us. That is, that is amazing. That's something we didn't deserve. God has blessed us extraordinarily with so much of his rich, wonderful grace. And so this gives a new meaning for when we gather together, why do we sing? It's, it's not out of a tradition, though it's easy for us to fall into that. It's not out of just mere repetition. We are gathering together to praise God who has shown us grace in Christ. We praise God in response to his grace. But even individually, 
we're moved to humility at this. If we truly understand grace, and we really understand what God has done for us in Christ, we're moved to humility. Our hearts are broken over our sinfulness. We see that we were once sinners enslaved. We were once separated from God, children of wrath. But now God has displayed grace to us that we did not deserve. And that humbles us. That brings us to a point of humility where we see our need every day for the grace of God to be shown to us. And so our response to this is humility. Humble ourselves. So the first way that we magnify the grace of God is by surrendering our self-effort, surrendering our works. However, abandoning our effort doesn't mean we give in to passivity. It doesn't mean that we float down the river of God's grace on our backs doing nothing. We are called to do works, but it's motivated out of grace in response to the grace of God. The second way we can magnify the grace of God is by embracing the works of Christ. We can magnify the grace of God by embracing the works of Christ. Paul continues in this passage in verse 10 by stating um, just one statement here. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Paul starts off by saying, We are a new creation. We are a new people. God has created us for his glory. This word here, workmanship, kind of carries the idea of just a masterpiece. Something that has been created that should be looked at and given glory to. Just This is wonderful. A beautiful work of art. And what God has done by his grace is he's brought us into Christ. And he has made us a new creation. No longer are we our old dead selves living as children of wrath, enslaved to the world, enslaved to the devil, enslaved to our flesh. No longer do we stand there. We are now a new creation. We are his workmanship. And much like, say, someone, an artist, would paint a a wonderful picture on a canvas, and they display it, for people to look at in an art exhibit. Much as we would look at that and say, that's beautiful, our praise sees that, is moved in awe, but it goes, the praise goes to the creator of that image. The praise goes to the one who painted the canvas. God has made us a work of art. He has created us in the new creation. No longer do we stand dead. We are alive in Christ, free from sin, free from from the enslaving power of the world and Satan and our flesh. We don't have to obey that anymore. We are moved to action because of what God has done for us. But look at where this was created. It was created in Christ. God has 
put us into such a, a close union with Christ. We are in Christ and Christ in us. Because of that, when we died, we died with Christ. When we rose, we rose with Christ. When Christ was made alive, we were made alive. When Christ was seated up in the heavenly places, we were seated up there with him. We have all the benefits given to Christ because we are in him. They are given to us. So this new creation is formed in Christ himself. He is the epitome of God's plan, and God has been focusing over all the ages to sum up all things in the person of Christ, to make him grand and glorious, to make him the object of all glory. And we participate in that by being a part of his new creation. We are recreated back to what God once intended us to be. We are recreated back into the image of God, not corrupted by sin, not, not marred by what Adam has done, but created in the fresh character of God, no longer tainted by sin, no longer enslaved to the forces we submitted ourselves unto. We are a new creation in Christ. But this new creation doesn't come without a new purpose. Look at the three words Paul uses here. He says, for good works. For good works. We have been created in Christ for the purpose of good works. God has recreated our old dead selves into the life of Christ. And our purpose now is to do good works. And that's an interesting contrast from the previous verse. Earlier, Paul said that your salvation wasn't by works. You couldn't have done any effort to earn this. But now, he says, a consequence of your salvation, a result of being saved, is that you are to do good works. That is a response to the grace God has shown us. But what's interesting is, we want to ask ourselves, where do these, where do these works come from? Where do I find them? Is it in my self-effort? Because, because Paul just said that your self-effort counts for nothing in Christ. It, that does nothing for you. No amount of mustering up of energy within yourself, no amount of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps will change your status with God. And both the effort, even, is pride as well. So where do the works come from? Paul answers this in the very last piece of the sentence here. He says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared the works. This verb, prepared, is only used one other time in the New Testament. And it's in Romans 9 when it speaks of God predestining us to receive mercy. And that's interesting because when we come back here, we start to see that God prepared. So he's talking about a past event. God has predestined. He has put these things aside before we were ever created. And he built up a storehouse of good works. In eternity past, before you and I never existed, God prepared our works. He himself 
formed these works for us to do. He is the origination of the works. It's where the works come from. It's not from Joe Terman trying to try a little harder. It's from the God, the gracious God of the universe, who has already prepared them. And now I must access them through faith. I get to do the works of God, not by trying harder, but by humbling myself under the grace of God and letting him perform the work through his spirit in me. That's grace-based obedience. That's how we walk in the spirit. That's how God, God's grace is magnified in our lives. We can look at this and we can start to wonder, what difference does that make though? If the good work gets done either way, what did it matter? Why does God care about where the work comes from? Why should it matter that one time the work comes from God, but the other time it's just me just, you know, striving in my flesh to live godly? Why does that matter? And if we understand that back in verse 7, God's purpose was that in the ages to come, his grace would be magnified. His grace would be glorified above all other things. And if that's his goal, from beginning to end, our salvation is always by the grace of God. Then, that makes all the difference. Because if we think that somehow we can be sanctified by trying harder, we accredit some of that back to us. Our pride creeps in and it destroys God's purpose. It steals his glory. So God, in order to make his grace beautiful and wonderful, not only covered our sins, he created and prepared the new works for us to do. They're already done. We need to access them by grace. And look at what Paul says here. He, he says, God prepared these works beforehand that we should walk in them. That's interesting. Why didn't Paul say, do them? He said, walk in them. Walking in the scriptures always denotes some sort of lifestyle. This is a way of life. Something that I do. It's not necessarily, here's a single action. When Paul says, walk by the Spirit, he doesn't mean that, all right, do this command so the Spirit is in you. When he says walk by the Spirit, he's demonstrating a lifestyle to be lived. So when Paul here says walk in the good works that God has prepared, he's saying your lifestyle should be one of humility, one that recognizes my own inability to live godly and that reaches out in confidence in the grace that has been shown to me and that will be shown to me. God wants us to walk in the good works his grace has prepared for us. And we magnify the grace of God when we embrace these works, when we reach out in humility and ask God to help. And we can kind of think of this much like a waiter serving food. So if you ever go to a restaurant where you sit down and you get to have a waiter or a waitress come and serve your food, 
you're lucky because that doesn't happen a lot to me. But you sit down, I'm poor. <laughs> um, you sit down, say go to Jethro's, and you sit down and you, you order up uh, boneless wings on Thursday nights. And you get their raspberry habanero sauce, you get their hot barbecue sauce, and you get a side of ranch, and you get water with a lemon. So you order that food, and the waiter or waitress goes off and brings that to the cooks. Or maybe you're more like an Outback Steakhouse guy, and you go to, you go to Outback Steakhouse, and you order like an 8 or 10-ounce sirloin steak, and just medium rare, well done, side of steak cut fries, ice cold Coke. Like, you just order those things. And when you, when you have those brought to you, and you smell the meat, and you smell, wow, this is awesome, this, this tastes good. And you take a bite of it, and you're just, you're just enjoying this meal that's been given to you. Who do you praise? Do you praise the waiter who was the deliverer of the gifts? Or do you praise the cook, the chef, who prepared the meal beforehand, and the waiter brought it to you? The waiter didn't do anything to produce the food. They didn't do anything to create that wonderful meal you tasted. They just delivered it to you. And so when we step back and we look at our lives, we deliver the good works that God has prepared. We bring them outwards into our lives and to other people. We don't get the praise. We don't produce the works. It's all to the glory and praise, praise of God. And so we are waiters, serving the good works of God to people around us. Not because we've decided to, not because we've willed ourselves and found enough effort to do it, but because we've seen the grace of God at work in our lives, and it's changed us. So, still though, how do we access these works? How do we live a life that lives out the works God has prepared beforehand? Because it still sounds really passive. Like, if God's the one doing the works, what am I supposed to do? Do I just sit back and wait for God to do something through me? No. Paul says we need to walk. So how do we do that? And simply, we humble ourselves and we submit ourselves to the grace of God. We recognize, that's the important part, we recognize our own inability and we embrace the ability of God. Confession is not only the recognition that we have sinned against a holy God. Confession is also admitting that we can't do what God asks of us. We are unable to perform his good works. And so when we confess, we recognize, I can't do this. I need the grace of God. And what does the Bible say? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He will give you grace if you humble yourselves. And this might just simply look like praying for the strength to live godly. It might look like just praying, God, help me right now. I really want to respond with anger. I really want to get frustrated at this person. I really want to feel stressed and anxious about this thing I can't control. But God, I know that's not the way you have for me. You want me to walk in your good works. So help me. Give me your grace. It might even look like confessing that weakness to a friend. 
It might look like taking someone you trust aside and just saying, I need the grace of God at this part of my life. And I need you to pray with me, to help me walk along, to point me back to grace when I try to just simply fix it on my own, to come back to God's grace. I need you to help pray for me. Bring me back to God. Humility is the way. We submit ourselves to the grace of God. We recognize our own inability. And we embrace God's ability to do it on our behalf. So we we see that we magnify the grace of God not only by surrendering our works, but also by embracing the works of Christ. God's grace is magnified through our lives when we abandon our own self-effort and we embrace the power of Christ in our lives. In this passage, it reminds us that we need the grace of God. No matter how long we have been Christians, we still need this grace. And God's grace isn't limited to justifying us. It's also expanding in the new territory. It sanctifies us. God's grace spreads in the rest of our lives, transforming our lives. And there's a song that we're going to sing tonight, O Great God. And in the third verse, the author of that song sums it up well. And he says this, Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart, guard my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. God's grace calls us to lay down our works and it humbles ourselves before our holy God. It calls us to live a life of good works, but not out of our effort. It offers us the power to live holy and blameless before God. And we can live holy because God has already prepared these good works for us. So you can live by grace, by giving up your works. You can live by grace, by embracing what Christ has done for you. You can magnify the grace of God, but only if you humble yourselves and ask him for that grace. He will give it to us, but only if we ask in humility. Let's pray. Father, we look at this passage and we see our great need. Help us not to forget that we need grace. And when we do, Father, use the circumstances of our life to bring us back to you. Thank you for everything you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.